as hard as it may seem to be or believe at times, God keeps his promises. Now, I need to put an asterisk on that. God keeps his promises that he makes. He doesn't keep the promises that he doesn't make. There's a second asterisk. While God keeps his promises, he keeps them in his time, not in our time, which we've said before, at times, can mean quite a long time of waiting. Now, one of the things I love about today's young people, there's many things I love about today's young people, but one of the things I love about today's young people is for a lot of them, I can talk to them about music because they're into the music of my generation. <laughs> and I was driving in my car the other day and just kind of going through the stations and I, and I heard a, a song way back in 1981, long before I was born, but 1981, <laughs> uh, from Tom Petty, a song called The Waiting, and he was singing, The Waiting is the Hardest Part. And I was like, true, Tom, too. He's no longer alive. Yet many followers of Jesus have experienced what really is the satisfaction of waiting on God God keeping his promises after a very long time of waiting and the confidence of knowing how faithful God is. Last year, we spent a lot of time with a friend of ours by the name of Habakkuk. Any of you remember him? And Habakkuk told us this, Habakkuk 2.3. He said, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, we might say, though it seems very slow. Wait for it, he says, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It will not be late. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting about 25 years for the son that God promised them. Let's just stop for one second. 25 years. Some of you aren't even 25 years old yet. Think back 25 years if you were waiting for a promise. And not only that they would have a son, but that Abraham would be the father of many. That he would have offspring as much as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. And all along through the ten chapters we have been studying, God keeps reminding him of this promise. You know, if, if we didn't know any better, we might be like, God, stop rubbing my face in it, would you? Stop it. And so for 25 years, no son, no daughter for that matter. No kids at all. In chapter 15, Abraham had an idea. God, excuse me, just a, just a question. Can I just ask you this? How about my servant? Maybe, maybe we'll use him as, as my offspring. Maybe he will be, be the one to inherit all the promises. And God says, nope, no, no, not, not him. 
In chapter 16, his wife got tired of the waiting. Remember that. And she said, why don't you uh, be intimate with my maidservant? And then the child will, if it's a boy, uh, we want him. He will be ours. And they had a son. But the Lord says, nope, 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 nope. That's not what I promised you. That was not my plan. That was not my promise. That was your idea. When we came to chapter 17, Sarah was 89. 89. How many 89-year-old women do you know want to have a child? (laughs) Our grandson comes over. He's not even three. We put him to bed, and we're in bed five minutes after he's in bed. (laughs) And we're not close to being 89, although it feels that way when he comes over. He's watching right now. We love you, buddy. I love you. I love you, buddy. Sarah's 89. Abe is Abraham's 99. And God promises them again. Promises This promise comes directly to Abraham. And Abraham laughs to himself, but God knows he's laughing. And it's one of those laughters that's sort of half joy and half unbelief. Sort of like, are you kidding? And, and, and he says to God, how about my son from the maidservant? How about Ishmael? God says, no, no, that's, that's not it. He says, you're going to have a boy. And his name is going to be Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter or he laughs. You, you got to... It's interesting, the names in the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a funny thing because the name laughter... Perhaps every time for the rest of his life after he has this son, if God comes through, every time he laughs, he will remember God's promise and God's deliverance. Do you have anything in your life that just reminds you of of God's deliverance? (laughs) Maybe, maybe, Maybe for some of you. Uh, I know some of you, you've said to me over the years, like, I don't know how God even preserved my life, I should be dead. So every time you look in the mirror, you think, I should be dead, but I'm not. Thank you, God. So maybe every time he laughed, he would, it would be a reminder of that. In the next chapter, chapter 18, God visits him, a physical manifestation of the Lord with two angels, and he says that he's gonna, they're going to have a son, and Sarah laughs. And do you remember what the Lord said to her? It's our theme for this year. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, I'll be back next year. You'll have a son. Then last week in chapter 20, for the second time that we know of, we don't even know if it happened more than this, Abraham risks it all in this this, this terrible time of unbelief And he tells a pagan king that his wife is his sister. And yet God, in his faithfulness, doesn't go, I need to find another father of many nations. No, God is determined to keep the promises that he makes to his sinful people. I don't know about you, but I find that so encouraging. I find that so encouraging. Because I will never be not sinful 
You don't all have to agree so much with that statement. But I'm so thankful that God agrees to keep his promises. And now, for Abraham and Sarah, after years of discouragement, it's interesting, 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul will write in Romans 4 that Abraham considered him and his wife to be as good as dead at this point. But now is the time for the title of our message, A Miraculous Birth. A Miraculous Birth, as they continue to venture into the unknown. Now, it's really miraculous births. Because from one miraculous birth came the nation of Israel. And through the family line came the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Lord Jesus Christ came the church. And through the Lord Jesus Christ and the church and the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, came you in a miraculous second birth. If, it, if you're not a follower of Jesus, hey, maybe today's your day. Valentine's Day, what a great day for it. Why is all this history important? Well, because this miraculous birth, this son of promise, both the miraculous birth and the son of promise are all because of the grace of God. There is nothing Abraham and Sarah did to deserve it. And the same is true for you if you are a child of God, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. There is nothing we have done to deserve it. It is just the grace of God. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 in Genesis uh, 21. I want to read these verses twice. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age and at the, at the set time of which he had spoken to him. Now, sometimes what happens when we read the Bible happens to me all of the time until I spend a lot of time when I study for a sermon going through a text very slowly over and over and over again. It's really easy, at least for me, to keep my eyes on Abraham and Sarah. But let's reread what we just read with our eyes focused on the Lord. And the Lord visited Sarah. He came. He said he would come, and he came. Another version says he dealt with her. Another version says he was gracious to her as he had said. He came and was gracious just like he said he was going to do it. He didn't say how long. So some of the promises he's made to you and to me, he hasn't said how long, but he has said, I will come. 
I'm going to do it on Wednesday nights. We're talking about the fact that Jesus is returning and how we are to get ready for it. If you missed it last Wednesday, be patient. Stop grumbling. That's enough to keep us busy, isn't it? So he visited as he had said. He came, was gracious as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. He did what he promised to do. Verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. They're 90 and 100 now. At the set time or the appointed time, similar word that Habakkuk used, of which God had spoken to him. So verse 1, we said that we see that God came and did what he said he would do. And in both verses, he says to Sarah, he did for Sarah as he had spoken. And in verse 2, he did for Abraham as he had spoken. You see, God's promises are sure. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and will be fulfilled at the appointed time. What does that mean, the appointed time? Well, the term, <coughs> excuse me again, the term, when the Lord visits, means when the Lord intervenes. Now, let me tell you something that amazes me about the Bible. Ten chapters of workup for this, and this is it. Oh, yeah, they had the baby. Two verses. I mean, the scriptures, when it comes to the promises of God, are so matter-of-factly about it. Jesus is telling his apostles, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. We're going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. Peter's like, no, they're not. Yes, we are. Get behind me, Satan. We're going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. He's telling the people, you're going to kill me. He's All along, we're leading up to that. What does it say in the Bible? And they crucified him. That's it. That's it. It's so matter-of-factly. It's like verses 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A 90-year-old woman had a baby. Like it happens every day. It's so, the Bible, when it comes to the promises of God, this is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible and I believe the promises of God are so sure. That when they happen, it's so understated. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's like, well, of course it happened. He said he would do it. What do you, duh. It's remarkably unremarkable. The passage makes it very clear, <clears throat> despite the doubts of Abraham and Sarah, despite the actions of Abraham and Sarah, the Lord did it. The Lord was gracious. And the same is true for all Followers of Jesus, the Lord will keep his promises, the ones that he has made, when? At the appointed time. Now, you and I may waver while we're waiting for those promises, but guess who won't waver? God won't waver. You and, I, you and I may try and help him along. Guess who doesn't need our help? Some people say, I've been trying to do things for myself. I've been trying to help God hurry along his problems. And I always go, how's that going for you? 
because I know the answer. Not going so well. You and I might be and will be faithless, but God is faithful. I find it also so encouraging, and and this is for those of you who would consider yourself older. I have no idea who considers themselves older. There's nothing that blesses my socks. There's a few things that bless it more, but one of the things that totally bless my socks more is people who are 90 years old and think that they're like, you know, 30. I, I just, I love it. I love it. My grandfather was like that. He was 90. He'd be like, he used to call me Jamie. Hey, Jamie, me boy, you want to you fight a little? You want to go a few rounds with your grandpa? <laughs> I'm like, okay, Pop, sit down, man. <laughs> right? He's like, I still got it. Right? I'm like, oh, you, you do, man. I would, because he would. He could take me. I would never hit him. Right? <laughs> but, so, but one thing about whether you consider yourself old or you are the youngest person in this room, I won't point out who the youngest person in this room is, but I think I have an idea they're sitting over that direction. God's promises are for you too. Whether you're old or young or in between, you're never going to be too old and you're never going to be too young. Now, maybe you're thinking through the promises of God and, or the callings of God on your life and you know what they are and you, and you think, I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have experience, I don't have energy, I got too much going on. You know, I hope that God just keeps gnawing at you. And that is someone who felt the call to be a pastor and fought it off for about 15 years. I I was like, no way, man. You see, when you have all of these things you say that you don't have, you you don't have time, you don't have money, you don't have experience, you don't have energy... Whatever the Lord calls you to, he will give you. He will give you what you need. What's our part? Attitude and effort. Attitude and effort. I know the parents probably don't like this, but I I tell the kids, I know your parents want you to go home with straight A's, but God wants great attitude and effort. Because you know what? If you have great attitude and effort, you will always be a success in life. You will. Maybe not the way the world sees it. To be honest, I think a lot of the things that we say are our limitations, if God has really asked us to do something, those things are just excuses. The real issue is the battle between, and it was for Abraham and Sarah, the promises and power of God and our doubts. That's the big battle. God is both faithful and detailed. He knows what he is doing. Our part is to trust and obey. And a big part of trusting and obeying, and it will be easier to trust and obey when we are convinced that God keeps his promises. And that's why some of this stuff is in the Bible. So we see that other people waited for God to keep his promise. Well, let's look at verse 3. We say we see here Abraham obeys the Lord and, and does what he was told to do in chapter 17. And Abraham called the name of, the, of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. He didn't call him Abraham. He called him Isaac. 
Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, it's very interesting as we go through this passage in the, just what we're in this morning. After 25 years of waiting, Abraham says nothing. He just obeys. You know, this is a very important thing to remember, Christian. When God fulfills his promises, when God delivers us from something, make it your immediate response to be grateful and obedient. Not to be a slacker. Not to think that you got it under control. You see, when we obey God, that is one of the ways that, that we express our love for him. That is one of the ways we thank him. That is one of the ways that we exhibit our trust in him. Verse 5 says, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. So, so we, we get the age numbers again. We keep getting them so we know it's a miraculous birth. So we know that Isaac was only born because of the miraculous power of a faithful God who keeps his promises. And, and you know, I, when I taught through the Psalms, it just changed my world. The Psalms will change your world, especially when you see the way some of the psalmists talk to God. He, and, and, and so whenever I start to doubt God, I will say, I remember a passage like this, and I'll say, okay, God, I'm waiting. And I remember Abraham and Sarah waited, but you came through. You're coming through for me. I know it. Like, I have to, I'm reminding God of his promises. But, you know, God's not like, oh, thanks, Jim, I forgot. <laughs> no, what is that doing? That's strengthening my soul. That's strengthening me from the inside out, and it will do the same for you. Verse 6 and 7 says, And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Now, it's not, she's, these are the laughters of joy. His promised miracle, she's saying, has brought joy to my life. And all who hear, everyone who hears about this old lady having this son will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his, um, in his old age. Now, there's more to it than meets the eye there. You know that you think, well, okay, you're watching this 90-year-old woman nursing her son. What is that proof of? That it's her baby. See, they could have just got a kid from anywhere and said, oh, look what God did. But that was proof. So Abe, you know, I call him Abe, Abraham, he doesn't, he doesn't get a word in. Sarah does all the talking, or should we say Sarah does all the laughing? 
Sarah has gone, for, she's, she's gone the distance. She has gone from complete heartache and doubt and despair to laughing in unbelief to now the laughter of joy. So just picture it. There she is holding that little baby. There's Abraham, the proud papa. And we're gathered around this family. Listen. Do you hear something? I hear the laughter of God's triumphant grace and mercy. I hear the angels going, <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> he did it again. You see, here's the thing, loved ones. And, and for those of you who are new to the faith, it's going to take time for you to, to be able to make a statement like this. God delights in fulfilling his absurd promises. <laughs> he just loves it. If you will, he loves to flip us out. <laughs> you see, but it was only the eyes of faith that sees what God is doing in Isaac. From the pain of waiting to the triumph of grace. And maybe right now in your life, you're in the pain of waiting. Don't give up. Remember Habakkuk said, don't wait. It won't be late. The triumph of grace is coming. I don't know whether it will be in this life or in the next life, but it is coming. At the Last Supper, Jesus said this to the apostles, John 16, 22, Therefore, you now have sorrow. They're in Jerusalem. They know people are out to get them. They don't know it. Jesus has been telling them it hasn't really hit their heads yet. The cross is going to be tomorrow. He says this, but I will see you again. And right now you have sorrow, but I will see you again. You know, right now, do you have sorrow in your life? Remember Peter told us, he says, who having not yet seen, we love him. You're going to see him. You might have sorrow now, but you are going to see him. He says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. You know how now you have in your life joy stealers? There will come a day in your life where there will be no more joy stealers. It will be impossible. And yet, for a follower of Jesus, we can really guard our hearts and hold on a lot tighter to our joy than we think. Now, this is just an opinion. So you can just write, you know, Pastor Jim, opinion, bogus, or eh, maybe, whatever, humor the old man. But, you know, I... I I find most people who are not followers of Jesus, again, if it's you, and that's you, here, you're here today, I'm glad that you're here. I find most people who are not followers of Jesus are just almost completely focused on today. 
maybe their retirement account, maybe, you know, what they're going to do when they retire. But most people are completely focused on today. But I find many followers of Jesus are so overly focused on the next life that they lack joy in this life. In fact, can I be honest with you? Not you people, other people. And not you people online, other people. (laughs) Some Christians are just flat out miserable. They're just miserable people. And unbelieving people are like, oh, I want to be like you when I grow up. Because they've allowed the joy either to never enter their life or just to be stolen from them. You see, the challenge for Abraham and Sarah was to look forward to the promises of God, yes, but also to live joyfully in the promises of God in the present. The same challenge that the apostles had, that's why Jesus told them this at the Last Supper, the same challenges for all of us too. Yet followers of Jesus, we have an advantage that all of them did not have. We can look back at the cross and resurrection. We have the 24-7 presence of the Holy Spirit. When you read the Old Testament, you'll see that it says the Holy Spirit came upon them came upon them. But now, since Jesus has, di- has lived a perfect life, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, the Spirit came. Jesus said, it's better that I leave so the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will come and he will live inside of you. He doesn't need to come upon you. Now, we do ask for certain fillings of power. Like when you go to do something, you're like, Lord, help me. But 24-7, the Spirit of God is living within us, that should make us more joyful. So followers of Jesus have the forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. We have access to hope and healing in this life. We know that we never walk through our trials alone without the Lord, without the power of God. So if you forward this to your miserable Christian friend, Ask them this question, have you forgotten that? Or did you never really understand it? When Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, I am always with you. Remember, we ended Matthew's gospel that way. I am always with you. That is reason for joy. You say, well, I still have problems. Yes, but you're not alone. You know, I, I, sometimes people think that when you're a pastor, you have all, you've got like no problems. I have lots of problems. And then people call me with their problems. That's okay. And then I hang up the phone. And I'm like, my Lord, now you've got a problem. <laughs> I can't fix this. I can't fix this. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 who, talking about Jesus, will also confirm you. Another version says sustain you. Another says keep you. Another says strengthen you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ because, you, because Jesus died on the cross 
and you responded in faith. And then he says this, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, he's calling you right now. Right now he's calling you. Now remember, Sarah laughed and said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now Sarah knows the answer. Now she knows the answer. You, you could picture Sarah probably, I get the impression she wasn't always the, the most joyful woman to be around. And you could picture people coming up to her and saying, oh, did you name him Abraham? No, I named him Laughter. Really? Why did you name him Laughter? And now, how excited was she to share the good news? Oh, it's, it's what God told Abraham to, to name him. You know, when, one time when, when God told Abraham we were going to have a son when we were very old, um, he laughed at what God said. But, but now see how my husband is? He couldn't wait for the eighth day to, to circumcise him. He couldn't, he couldn't wait. Nobody could talk him out of what we were going to name that boy. That little boy has made my husband a new man. And, and for me, she would say, my, I, I doubted God for years. And when I laughed at God, it was complete mocking. But, but now, my mocking laughter is now the laughter of joy. But now it's also the laughter of a deeply rooted faith and trust in my God who keeps his promises. In another sense, Israel was born that day because the nation of Israel would come from Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. A nation miraculously came into being that introduced God to the world and has miraculously survived to this day. But centuries later, through that family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a greater miracle would happen. The King of Kings would be born. The Lord of Lords would be born. In between that time, over a thousand years later, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah would write this, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, this is 700 years before Jesus is born, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew tells us in chapter 1 that name means God is with us. God himself became a baby, became a man, same book, Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. 
And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years later, a young girl by the name of Mary, a poor girl, but a good girl, a girl who loved God. She was visited by an angel and she was told that she was going to have a son. She was betrothed or engaged, we might say, to be married to a man by the name of Joseph. And this angel promised her, your son will be great, for he is an eternal king. And like Abraham and Sarah had waited the people of God had waited a lot longer than they did for the arrival of this promised son, this Messiah. Interesting, Sarah, she, when she was told that she would have a son, she laughed in unbelief. Mary, she simply wondered. She said to the angel, I've never known a man. How could, I, how could I have a son? And the angel said, your child will be of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and your son will be the son of God. He won't have the nature of Joseph. He will be a son of, he will have the nature of God himself. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. God become a man. And then a couple verses later, the angel says to Mary, Luke 137, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I wonder if Mary's mind raced to Abraham and Sarah. And she thought, he's right. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, this poor teenage girl, instead of laughing, responds with great joy. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Some verses say proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Some say it's overflowing with praise. Verse 47, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. An angel goes to Joseph and says, hey, the girl that you're going to marry, she's pregnant. I know everybody else is going to laugh about it, but it is the Holy Spirit. But don't name him Joseph. He's God's son. You're the adopted father. I want you to name him Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua. What does that name mean? It means that Yahweh saves. Or the Lord is salvation. The angel told Joseph to name the boy that because Matthew 12, 21 says, for he will save his people from their sins. 
this boy will save his people from the judgment of God for their sins. So that is, that is the question of, of all eternity. Are you one of his people? Because if you are one of his people, it's as simple as, as turning to God, turning from your sin to God and putting your trust in Jesus instead of yourself. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be adopted by God. You will, be, you, you will inherit eternal life. The judgment of God will not come upon you. It's the simplest thing in the world. Are you one of his people that have been saved from their sins? You either are or you haven't been. It's that simple. You say, you're making me feel bad by telling me I'm a sinner. <laughs> you know something? <laughs> Again, when, you, when you're a Christian a longer time, you, you, you realize on the one hand, the fact that God loved you despite that you were a sinner that you were a bigger sinner than you ever thought, but he loved you more than you ever thought. That just enlarges your soul and your heart. It's like a Grinch moment, right? A little heart just explodes. And then even being reminded that you are a sinner afterwards, you start to think, oh, I don't want to feel bad about myself. Oh, no, 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 no. That is God inviting you into more intimacy with him. He's saying, if you really want to experience me, you need the forgiveness of this sin and you need the power to stop doing it. Jesus brought the good news of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing to the world. He, he healed the sick. He died on the cross in your place, in my place for our sins. All we need to do is respond to him and say, I trust in you instead of myself. In that sense, this miraculous birth of Isaac set in motion the making of Abraham the father of many. He would be the father of many who would put their trust in Jesus and follow him. What a challenge to all of us this is. I, I wanted to do the whole chapter because this is interesting stuff, Lord willing, next week. But I couldn't help by being challenged by this one single question. How great is my God? How great is your God? Don't, don't answer the question. Take it home. Chew on it. Pray on it. Lie in bed awake tonight. Wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. God, how great are you in my mind? Not how great are you, but how great are you in my mind, in my heart, in my soul? For Abraham and Sarah, he is much greater now. But let us all remember, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have seen Jesus. If you're not a follower, that cross is empty because that tomb is empty because he defeated death. 
And you too can see and know Jesus. Jesus was talking to the apostles and, and he was talking about, they thought that rich people were blessed by God and they were going to be the people, you know, in front line for heaven. And Jesus says, oh, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were confused. They said, who can get in then? Do you know what Jesus said to them? With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Does that sound familiar? So, God says to Abraham and Sarah, with God, all things are possible. What is he saying? I can do a miracle. When the angel talks to Mary, what does he say? With God, all things are possible. What is he saying? God can do a miracle. When he says to the apostles, when they think it's impossible to get into heaven, what does Jesus say to them? I can do a miracle. We said of Isaac that he was born at the set time or the appointed time. Galatians 4.4 says of Jesus, but when the fullness of time had come, when the right moment came, God sent forth his son. That is so important. He sent him. Read through the Gospel of John and notice how many times the word sent is in there. He was sent. Jesus was a man on a mission. The God-man on a mission. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, all of this points to the supernatural. And if God with Isaac began his people in a supernatural way, if God's son came into the world in a supernatural way, then guess what? He has made you his son, his daughter, his follower in a supernatural way. That would mean that every single one of us who are true followers of Jesus have been born of the supernatural. And remember this, sin and death have no power over you. The grave will not hold you. Interesting, we said in Romans 4 that Abraham and Sarah felt that they were humanly dead to produce a child, to bring about new life. But the resurrection of Jesus shows us that God can bring about brand new life. In John chapter 3, Jesus was speaking to one of the most well-known religious teachers uh, and religious leaders of all of Israel, a man by Nicodemus. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Jesus is amazed. You don't, you're, you're the premier teacher in Israel and you don't know this? What does he mean unless one is born again? Born again is not a political party. 
born again is something that needs to happen to someone. And if it happens, it's very clear. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless someone undergoes a miraculous, supernatural birth of the Holy Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We are all born once, but only God can perform the miraculous, making us born again for eternal life in heaven. That, my friend, if you do not believe yet, that is what Jesus Christ is offering you today. He is offering you not only the forgiveness of sins, but he is offering you eternal life in heaven. We are not born heaven-bound and then mess it up and then God decides maybe to send us somewhere else. We need to be adopted into the family of God. We need to be born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not see the kingdom of heaven. And I could imagine over the years, maybe Abraham said to God, maybe you're saying to God, God, what are you waiting for? And maybe today God is saying to you, I'm actually waiting for you. You're not waiting for me. I'm waiting for you. Abraham, I'm waiting for you. Sarah, I'm waiting for you. Plug your name in. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to stop trying to obtain my promises without me. I'm waiting for you to turn to me to come to me and I'm waiting for you to believe. Not in your head, but to believe what I say that the way you get to heaven is to be born again, is to put your trust in Jesus. Now some of you might object right now. A lot of people in the area in which we live would object. I was raised in a church that said you, you, you get to heaven you get saved by good works. When people say that to me, I know you good evangelical types, you want to jump down their throat, no! I always go, well, sort of. It's just not your good works. <laughs> it's Jesus' good works. It's his perfect life that he lived in your place. It's his punishment on the cross for your sins that he took in your place and to make sure that God was pleased with the sacrifice and that Jesus had done well. He rose him from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God and now and will return as judge. So if you put your trust in him, you respond to what he did, that's how you get to heaven. The good news is that God created us, told us how to live. How did we do? We didn't do so well, did we? We failed. But God in his great love 
sent Jesus to do everything right that we couldn't do that whoever would trust in him would be miraculously born again. That the spirit of God would, would bring their spirit to life and come to live inside of you. No wonder people laugh in unbelief because they don't see it. I mean, they laughed at Jesus on the cross. They thought it was a comedy show. That's until they see, until God opens your eyes, and maybe he will for someone today. And when you realize that he keeps all of his promises to his kids, and once you realize that he keeps all of his promises and once you trust in him and you become what the scripture calls a new creation in Christ, you can now laugh with overwhelming joy. You know, this last year, we're not laughing like we used to. But we should be able to laugh with overwhelming joy because even as we venture into the unknown even though we have no idea what is coming next, we can know that we are never, ever, ever, ever alone. Never alone. But don't delay, friend. Like Abraham, you can't achieve a miraculous birth on your own. You can't put in substitutes. You can't say, well, what about my servant? What about, my, what about you know, the son I had from the, from the other woman? People go, I would never do that. But people do it all the time. Oh, but my grandmother prayed the rosary every night. Oh, but, 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 but my aunt was a nun. Two for me. <laughs> no, you can't, you can't do that. It only comes from trusting the Lord Jesus and having received the deliverance of God from the penalty of your sin and the power that sin has over you, God calls you to this, to continue to trust him and to continue to obey and to joyfully watch God keep his promises in your life. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you that you are